Welcome everyone to episode 58 of the Enneagram Journey Podcast with Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel and today's guest is Enneagram 3, Rachel Cruz. We talk all the time on the podcast about compassion and understanding and what better topic to have compassion and understanding around than money and finances. Uh, Rachel is the daughter of Dave Ramsey and you may have read one of her books, uh, Love Your Life, Not Theirs or Smart Money, Smart Kids. And I just picked up my copy of The Contentment Journal at a recent event that she was teaching at in Dallas. As a three, Rachel gives a great story of how feelings are repressed in threes. She and Suzanne talk about teaching without shame. Of course, talking about money in the Enneagram, about contentment, about the Enneagram and jealousy and envy. And also want to do a real quick shout out to her mother-in-law, Helen in Knoxville. If you get the chance, jump over to lifeinthetrinityministry.com for a multitude of Enneagram resources and upcoming events. Or you can go over to theenneagramjourney.org to submit your questions and comments about the podcast. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. People have a lot to say about my accent, and I'm I'm all over it now. Which I'm... <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to you is that we uh, share a lot of topics in common, but we teach to them in different ways. Yeah. And I feel like for some things, uh, we're a total package. Maybe we'll have to do something together sometime. I would love it because I'm kind of in this new thing of like, it's, it's a longer story, but just the idea of like understanding why people handle money the way they do. Right. Personality is a big part of it, which right. the Enneagram like lays so nicely on top of. So I, I think it's just fascinating for sure. I think it's a great example of how the Enneagram is great and it's best with other things, That's with right. other tools. And, and, and Rachel, you're a hundred percent right. Cause like me as a seven, Yep. I go and do and I spend and life yeah. will in the future will work itself out because life is good and uh, we'll, it'll be okay. And as totally. a two, my spending is emotional. It's all based on feelings. Yes. It used to be. I've learned a little bit over time. So it would be a very interesting thing to explore that would be particularly good. Um, my audience has um, decreased in age in the last three years by about 30 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Lots of young folks now. So yeah. What's your average age listener? Um, I think by now it's probably right at between 35 and 50 probably. Yeah. yeah. And it used to be between 50 and 70. So yeah. <laughs> it's gone down a decade. <laughs> That's right. So it, it's just much better. And it's such good energy to be with people who are not just taking in information, but mm. who kind of want some knowledge and some wisdom so they can do something with it. And that certainly is what you offer. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really glad to meet you for lots of reasons. And one of them is your dad's work has helped my adult children an awful lot. So tell him I said, thanks. Yes, I will. I will. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just want to throw in one other thing too, comparing the two. Yeah. Both of what y'all do is for everyone, but how many people in both of your realms say, I wish I had known this when I was younger? Oh, and it's like the number one thing we get. Yeah, exactly. And Us so too. as someone who is younger, 
it's great to be a part of. Well, and in the same way, it's so similar. We always say personal finance, it's 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. Yeah. And that almost could lay on top of the Enneagram too. I'm like, you can understand the knowledge, but what you do with it and how you interact with people, how you learn from it and your actions you take beyond just the knowledge of it, that's the impact that it makes absolutely. in your life. And same with money. So yeah. Yep, absolutely. So there's our conference. We can do something. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I'm all in. So let's do it. I love it. I am excited to talk with you as you do life from the position of a three who kind of wishes you weren't, but you are. Because so many of the topics that you cover are topics that are intuitively challenging for threes. Mm -hmm. So um, I picked up that your two books have to do with envy and jealousy in a, in a big way and a softer way, which I think is lovely. And so much of what Enneagram threes struggle with is comparison, which leads to competition, which leads to winners and losers, which leads to envy and jealousy. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd love to hear you talk about that work for a while. And I also want to hear you talk about um, contentment because I have felt so old when I talk about contentment. And it's so good for me to hear a much younger voice saying it's available and it's there and it has great value beyond the cultural message of us wanting something else. So if you just want to take any of that and run with it, I want to listen and uh, then see what I have to maybe ask or contribute. No, I appreciate that. Well, it's so funny. I feel like the best content that any, if you're a content producer, the best content you produce are things that you've lived out or things that you're struggling with, things that you're learning, right? It comes from a very personal place. And so the book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs, uh, was my first solo book. I co-wrote Smart Money, Smart Kids with my dad. Yeah. And so when it was time for my first kind of solo money book, you know, it was, it was, it was hard for me. Cause I was like, how do I write a money book when Dave Ramsey has, you know, he said it all in, you know, total money makeover, financial peace, like right. what's the angle, like what, what is it that's different that I can write about it, you know, and connect with people maybe on a different level. And I remember just thinking like journaling and just like, Hey, what are things I'm struggling with? And comparison for me, it just kept creeping to the top. Um, and this was years ago. And so now it's kind of become a very normal conversation for people to talk about, Oh, what social media does and how it's so easy to compare our lives today. But it really was not talked about, you know, four or five years ago when I wrote it, it was not a big, a big topic. Yeah. And so, um, even trying to find the research and everything around it, there wasn't a lot. And so a lot of it came from just my feeling and my, my knowledge, my experience, uh, which can be probably a little dangerous when I reread it in 10 years where I'm like, Oh gosh, I hope that was right. Um, it was right then. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and so, so yeah, so that's kind of where it came out of, but the idea of, of the comparison battle, I mean, it is, it is alive and well, and I feel like it just keeps increasing in our culture until we become aware of it and we know how to battle it well, it's going to, it's going to continue to be rampant. And so the lens, I obviously wrote it through was the financial lens and how it damages 
your money, not just your joy and who you are, but your bank account suffers right. because people end up spending money, sometimes money they don't have to keep up a lifestyle that they think, well, everyone else is living and that's how I should be. And if I'm not living that standard, you know, how can I get there? And the avenue of debt is just easy to walk down in our world today. And so people do it and they look up, you know, five, 10 years later and they think, what did I do? Like, how did I get in this mess? And so really focusing on the heart issue of money was really where that book kind of came out of. And when you can put the blinders on and focus on your life, your money, your family, who you are, um, Overall, I think it helps not just, again, just your life, but it helps your money situation. And that's where contentment plays in. And so that's, that's always a big part of that comparison battle is the contentment. And so that's what paired the contentment journal uh, that just released a few months ago because it was a word and kind of this thing I, I touched on a little bit in the book, but man, it caught wildfire. It's like everywhere I went, people were talking about the idea of contentment. And I thought, okay, so how do you walk this out? Because contentment... For me, it's it's almost this choice, right? That you you kind of have to make, you know, not just subconsciously but consciously. Be like, okay, I have to choose this because there are so many distractions, there are so many comparisons that can uh, butt up against that. And so, when I mapped it out in the book, which translated into the journal, was learning that gratitude is right. really the first step. Being grateful. And then out of gratitude, humility comes. And I've used humility out of the quotes uh, by C.S. Lewis, who said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, mm -hmm. but it's thinking of yourself less. Right. And I'll say as a three, in my unhealthy state, and when I'm with threes who are unhealthy, right. <laughs> humility does not come to the top. Uh, it's very much me, 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 right? Look what I'm doing. And when the insecurity comes out, that's what flares up. And I thought, man, if you, if I could live my life, I mean, that quote, I, I wouldn't say it changed my life because that's kind of dramatic, but that's how it felt where I was like, it's not thinking less of myself. I don't have to put myself down. I don't have to say, cause I'm a pretty confident person. I feel confident what I'm doing in my job and my role. And I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And so I was like, I don't want to just sit there and just, you know, be self-deprecating, you know, that's right. not humility, but the idea of thinking less of myself where the, where the world doesn't revolve around me and there's other people. And when you start focusing on other people, the joy that comes just from that simple principle is huge. And as a, for, as a three, I mean, it was just, it was like a breath of fresh air. When I read that quote, I was like, Oh, that's it. And I'm like, man, if you can embody that out of that naturally contentment, it comes like it's there again, you make that choice, but you've built the character qualities to support that daily decision that you have to make. Um, and I think we all struggle with discontentment, no matter your number, no matter your personality, but, but man, it is a character quality to grab onto in today's world because there are so many messages out there, you know, telling you how to be better, what you should be looking like, what you should be doing, how much money you should be making, what house you should be in. I mean, it's just, it's just constant. And it's like, man, if you can be content and be at peace with where you are right now, which doesn't mean that you're not still striving for goals and you still want to work hard and, you know, ambition can still be there, but having that peace, that overriding peace about where you are currently is, it's massive. And again, any number can struggle with it, but as a three, I relate to that. I'm like, oh, it's something to work towards for sure. It's a different piece for threes because it has to do with how you see. Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr is one of my mentors and a quote from him that I have found to be uh, 
very life-giving over and over and over is if you have to have more and more of the same thing, it isn't working. Mm. And I, um, I, I often say in relationship to your personality type that it, it's much more complicated than for some other numbers because all any Ram master teachers agree that the United States is a three country and I happen to live in a three city. And that means that there is greater, uh, greater challenge for the way you see, because you're surrounded, surrounded by image crafting, which you're really good at. You know, wouldn't it be great if you struggled with something that you're not very good at? <laughs> I guess so. Right? Because then it would be, well, I'm going to let that go. But when the struggle yeah. is something that you're really good at, then to be able to back up from that and observe mm. yourself, I think is um, a very honest endeavor that for many, many people, regardless of age is there, there's little space for because of financial difficulty and cares and concerns. When we dropped our kids off at college, uh, all of them um, in the packet in the bag at the bookstore where they bought their books, there was a credit card application. And I thought, what, what are they going to do with the credit card? You know, now it was a number of years ago before kids were carrying debit cards and stuff like that. Sure. But it was an invitation to something that they weren't prepared for. And I think the fact that you are able to talk about jealousy and envy and the counter to that as gratitude and contentment is more of a holistic approach to something that seems so easy to divide. How'd you get there? I would say that the symptom, I look at debt and I look at money mistakes people make over and over again and the quote unquote irresponsibility of money and it's a symptom of another problem. And trying to figure out what that other problem is, it, as I kept searching that and talking to people, it kept coming back to their heart and their state of who they were and who they believed they were. Because uh, so much of, I mean, there is a portion of people that are in severe debt because, you know, they mismanage things, but they literally have to pay the light bill and they can't pay for food the next month unless it's on the credit card, right? I mean, there's that standard of living, but I think that for a lot of Americans, there's this expectation of this is how it should be. And if I don't look like that, I don't have that. I, I deserve that. That's what it, that, I mean, you should have this certain size house. You should be able to go out to eat X amount of times. You should go on two vacations a year or whatever it is. And if it doesn't go there and then that's, so that's a heart issue. It's an expectation issue. It's a, um, there's some entitlement. I think that's wrapped up in that. I think that there's, well, they have it. I don't, I mean, I think there's a lot of that and not knowing who they are and probably a, a portion of it is that insecurity of saying, okay, I'm not looking like everyone else and I need to, but it's, but it's told constantly. Like it's, you know, it's not that people I don't think are just completely stupid with money. I think that they're just ignorant. Like a lot of people, they just don't know. They've never been taught. Right. And we live in a culture that puts credit card offers and college students packages, you know, when they, when they arrive on campus, I mean, it's just the world we live in. So it's so normal. It's so, so normal. And that's the battle, the uphill battle that our messages, our M solutions is it's the uphill battle that you, you can't be normal. 
Because if you're normal, this is what you're going to get. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They're swirling around in car payments and student loans and mortgages that are half their take-home pay, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, man, don't be normal. And so, um, but part of that, it's not just the mismanagement of money. I think getting there, it's the, it's the character and the person that's dealing with it. What I really love that you said that stood out is that you said it's a symptom of something else. And I, yeah. I hopefully I'm not, I'll have to go back and listen, but I'm not that uh, guy in recovery that always refers things back to recovery. But uh, in, in AA, alcoholism and our problem with drinking is a symptom of something else. Right. It's a symptom of our, and it goes back to what you said at the beginning, Rachel, about how it's not, it's not a knowledge issue. Because I think most people do, that you encounter, they do think it is a knowledge issue, right? Like you're just, you're not working the system right. Or you don't have the right budget book. Exactly. You don't have the right plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're not in the right investments. You're right. not. Yeah, exactly. Right. When you exactly. address the greater issue, then it addresses a symptom. And I, that's mind blowing to me. Well, and, and it's, it's uh, so fascinating to me that of all the words that you could have picked, you chose contentment because all of, uh, I, I guess, you know, I don't do what you do. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it seems to me that all of unnecessary spending has to do with an inability to be content with what you have where you are. And I, when I talk about it from a different perspective, but when I talk about it, I can't remember contentment being a word that I heard culturally prior to your release of this journal since my grandparents. Mm -hmm. My grandparents, after Thanksgiving, would push back from the table and say, I'm content. And you just don't hear people talk about contentment. It is, uh, what I hear people talk about is, if I get that, if I achieve that, if we get that house, that school, then I'll be content, and then never comes. I push back from Thanksgiving saying, oh my God. I am stuffed and I'm going to go to sleep for three hours and then wake up and eat some more. Right. And then have a turkey sandwich. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We always, I love the quote. My dad said it always growing up to us. And so I've stolen it and I use it myself now because it's great. But is that it's okay to have nice stuff, right? It's okay to go to the nice school or have the nice house or have the nice school, right? It's okay to have nice stuff. You can't let your nice stuff have you. Yeah. And it has you when you go into debt for it. Scripture's clear. The borrower is slave to the lender. Right. You have two masters in your life. Bank of America and maybe Jesus, you know. Maybe. Like, like it's, yeah, it, it's there. It's that, it's that tension of having someone else own part of your paycheck. And so it has you in that way. And then it has you when your identity, your happiness, your contentment, fill in the word you think is going to be fulfilled by that thing. Because I mean, you'll be a rat in a wheel for the rest of your life. And I've done this. Like, I'm guilty of it. Even something as small as a jacket. Like, I'll see a jacket in the store and be like, oh, that's so cute. If I could just have that, I'd be happy. Right? Like, you say these phrases and you may go through with the purchase. And I'm like, that jacket is just stuffed in the back of the closet three months later. And it's just another bit. Right? The newness wears off. And so what people end up doing is just spending, 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 trying to scratch that itch. And and it doesn't, it doesn't come. And so I, I would be curious the different numbers of the Enneagram and how they relate to that. Cause again, I could speak totally as a three, but sure. I was but just going to go back. Yeah. Different ways. I was just leaning in to talk about that a little bit because as a two, my relationship to the jacket is if I have that people will want me. 
or -hmm. people will love me. And I think for fours, there is a a toss-up between if I have that, then it will make me happy, but I can't have it, and so I'm going to have to long for it because they're comfortable with longing. And fives don't get the jacket even if they need it because there's an opposite side to all of this, right? I think there are Enneagram numbers for which the opposite side of what you're talking about is not caring for themselves because of fear of money on the other end. Can you talk about that? Yes, the sense of, and I think fives would probably follow this. It's almost this hoarding mentality. Uh, And I think that there's certain numbers that are natural spenders, probably some that are natural savers, some that are natural givers, some that are, it's harder to give. And so I think that there are certain numbers and fives probably would be one of them that they, they do it. There's a hoarding mentality. They, they, they clench their fists and it's this idea I can control this. I'm, you know, usually there's probably savers and you know, they, they really research and it's here and it's like, in order to give, you know, or open their hand or spend even. Right. I can say all this. My husband's a five. And so it's so I funny. wondered where you were getting all that. I thought, man, <laughs> this girl knows the Enneagram. No, I don't. I don't. I just know threes and fives because that's our household. Uh, but once I talk, and he would say this if he was on the podcast sure. right now, uh, he would never come on because he's a five and right. Got doesn't it. want to do all of this. But, but yeah, but we talk about that. Then I'm like, I'm the spender. And a lot of people think, because I do what I do in my sure. job, like, oh, you must be, you know, the saver. And I'm like, no, I'm the spender. I freely can leave my hand open. And usually spenders end up being easier givers. We give easier just because our hands are open sure. and we're like, yeah, it's great. You know, uh, we're fives. It's when Winston and I give, I laugh because I'm like, he spends as much time researching the places we give as he does our retirement investing. Like, right. I mean, he makes sure that it is, it's there. There, there is definitely a more of a process and way less emotion with it. So yeah, it's, um, a it's thing. a real thing, but yeah. I appreciate that. Right. And there is a sense that you need both. There needs to be a, a healthy balance, right. uh, especially when you're talking about money. You can't just be a spender. You'll be broke. You spend everything you make and you can't just be a saver because you're not going to have a life and have fun. Right. So, you know, there is that balance, but it's, it is, it's there and it's so true. Like it's crazy. It's crazy when you see it play out in reality. So we send out a little sheet that we ask everybody to fill out that's going to be on the podcast. And one of the things that you were really honest about when you filled that out is that uh, is your struggle about being a three. Would you talk about that for a little while with me and let me uh, maybe ask a few questions or yes, learn a little? I'd love it. I feel like I have the godmother of the Enneagram sitting right here. I think we ought to go with that, Joel. The yes. godmother of the Enneagram works for me. Yes, you are. Um, yeah, I think my struggle comes with like, there's kind of like my top struggle that I was between a seven and a three. So just trying to really figure out who I am, because I am in that aggressive triad, like I, I relate with eights and sevens and threes, like I naturally that that's where I, I lean. Because there's parts of threes, and this is where I struggle. And I may struggle because it's a mirror, and I'm seeing the unhealthy part of myself. But they talk a lot about being a three of, and again, it may just be one aspect, but things like that their work defines them and they get this identity crisis and they become who they want everyone to think that they should be. They lose themselves, like all of that. And so when I look through the lens of my work life, 
for me, where I struggle is I'm like, I just don't feel like that's true for me. Um, and I may not be self-aware enough, but I mean, I, I was telling someone the other day, I'm like, if I didn't have this job, like tomorrow, if I woke up and it was gone, Ramsey Solutions failed, or I decided not to do this, whatever the case may be, I really believe, and I've had to work at this, but I really don't think that I would have this like identity crisis. Right. I think I would be, I would grieve that I wouldn't get to do it because I so enjoy my job. But the people around me that I trust and that I love, that I would look for, and is this okay? Do you still love me? They, they would. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. I, so that's, so that's one part of the three that I don't really relate to. Um, but I wonder, I was thinking back before this interview, I was like, okay, so why do I feel that way? And I, so I did the Enneagram test probably, I guess it's been about three years. And, and I think that was one of the first times I've read that just even those statements. Right. And I think it kind of, I think fear started stirring up in me where I thought, man, I have a public facing job. This would be a really easy pit to fall in like super fast. Um, because it has all the ingredients of that, right? I mean, you have people applauding you, people love you, you get lots of likes. I mean, it's just, you get all, you get a lot of affirmation. And so I have, I've kind of been on this journey the past few years of like figuring out how to have this job and it be somewhat public facing. But yet, if it's gone that like, I tell my husband this all the time, I'm like, I don't want you to have to put me in a padded room in Vanderbilt in a psych ward because I've lost who I am. Like. I still want to be centered to like who I really am sure. and not let that, let this job overtake that. Does that it, make sense? It makes perfect sense. And, yeah. and my response is to go back to these words. These are, these are all the things that are your topics, gratitude, humility, contentment, envy, jealousy, live your life, love your life, not theirs. All of those things are the things in one way or another that I would prescribe to aggressive numbers and to threes in particular to balance the way they see. So the next question then I have is how did you get to those words? You know, you could be in a position where what you were teaching had to do with uh, if you handle your money right, you don't have to be content with what you have. You can have more, right? Like there's a, there's that out there too. Yeah, yeah. So somehow you figured out about yourself or surrounded yourself with people who put those words on the table for you to work with. And I think we can't counter how we see unless someone shows us how to see differently because the Enneagram is not about what you do. It's about how you see. And people keep trying to find health in their Enneagram space with what they do instead of being more and more mindful of how they see. Interesting. There's also a, an element that the two of you probably can relate to a lot that you seem to have worked through, which is, neither one of you seem to over identify with something like you don't Rachel, from what I gather, you don't over identify as, um, Dave Ramsey's daughter, my, you know, the Ramsey solutions company. And that's all your stuff. You, you have one daughter, uh, actually two, two. and then number three on the way. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah, Is it a girl? 
Uh, no, a boy. There you go. That's a game changer. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> but like, I've heard you talk about the, you know, when you were uh, pregnant with your first daughter, preparing for that change. <laughs> and then, so that adds a different element. And you, and in that you talked about being married for five years and it's not just, I'm not the same. Whereas I think there is a level. So there's a level of health to that. Yeah. Where I think anybody can, but possibly especially threes over identify with being fantastic at their job. Right. And, and like I said, it's the same. I see for you, mom of, I, of, yes, I'm, I'm, you don't say this about yourself before today, but the Anagram Godmother. Yeah, I'm all over that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also, you know, I know other things. I do right. other things. Right. I'm a preacher's wife, grandmother of nine, mother of four, and so on. I'm sorry to You're just good. take forever to get there. Is to average to unhealthy space. Right. And so when you are adding new elements to your life and new depths, right it's going to become harder to relate to the average and unhealthy space of your number. Yeah. Yeah. I actually am uh, extraordinarily impressed with the fact that you're not Rachel Ramsey Cruz. You, you sure could have done that. And I started following you on uh, Instagram, I think. And I had no idea because you were speaking from who you are, not whose you are. And I think a, a real trap for image-concerned people is that they get caught in whose they are and who they know. And you have really found um, a niche with a way to talk about things that everybody needs to hear, but when it's from a perspective that you can own, which you certainly have as a three, then you have more to say. You have more to say about all of that because of your number. And I think threes tend to look at the downside of their number and not the upside. And uh, I, I think that comes from uh, a lot of writing about threes by people who don't know threes well or, or who aren't one. Yeah. Yeah, it's as I'm like processing this, I'm like, you know, the whole Cruz Ramsey discussion, it was interesting. I've, Winston and I will celebrate 10 years in December. So it'll be almost 10 years of marriage. And we got married six months later. Uh, I was, you know, speaking and we moved to Nashville. I kind of hit the ground running with this whole thing. And we were in a meeting with a publisher for Smart Money, Smart Kids, and then dad's other book on trade leadership, which hadn't launched yet. And so he was like, you need to come sit in on these meetings and just be a fly on the wall, see how they go, see how this whole industry works. And in that meeting, and I don't know if it was caught off guard, I don't know what the what the whole conversation was like, but I can, I remember that, I'll remember to the day I die, some publisher from this New York house that flew to Nashville to do this whole presentation said, well, so she'll be Rachel Ramsey. And my dad spoke up and said, no, she's Rachel Cruz. And I felt, which is so funny that I'm like, I'm the three, I remember thinking in my head, well, dad, for marketing purposes and all of this, like in my head, I was like, I think it'd be fine. I mean, Winston, I can talk about it, but like, I'm, I mean, you know, we can talk about, like, I remember in my head kind of going back and forth, but as an eight, he was like, that's, she's Rachel Cruz now. She's not a Ramsey. She's a Cruz now. I mean, it was so black and white to him. And afterwards, I went and told Winston that night, we got, I, I like rehashed and I was like, yeah, and then this thing got brought up at my last name. And Winston was so grateful 
for my dad, like for saying that. And he was like, man, that's huge. Like, you know, and so I see pieces of that in my dad's relationship with me that he's given us the dignity to create our own nuclear family, right? right? And under that shadow. And so I think, uh, I mean, no one's perfect. I'm not saying Dave Ramsey's perfect, but a huge strength that I've been given from him, I think is probably that that who's who or what you do or who's you are, like you said, I was like, man, a lot of that probably started from my relationship with my dad, kind of embracing that part for me right? without me knowing I needed that. And then I marry my husband who could care less about the spotlight. I mean, he, he affirms me, he loves what I do. I mean, he thinks I'm great at it and all of that, but like that, it does not fuel him in any way. Unless, you know, if I was married to a three or even a seven, like there, I'm sure there's elements of it that's exciting and fun and we'd feed off each other. Uh, But I think I've had good men in my life that I can, and my mom and all of that, but like those, but those were very defining conversations that shaped possibly this road that I'm now here 10 years later. Exactly. Is that story possibly an example of threes not using feelings or emotions to address issue to address problems or issues. Yes. It's like, yeah, that, that'll work great. We can, this makes sense. Let's talk about it because, but I would think pulled back and bring emotions and feelings into it. That would have changed the narrative. Absolutely. I think so too. And I think it would have changed who you've become. So I have a similar story, but it completely different, but the same outcome. Um, I was adopted as a child and my dad actually delivered me and he and my mom had two boys and they weren't planning on adopting and I was available and he kind of went home and said, we, we, I think we need to take her home. So that's a long story. But at the end, at the end of his life, he was dying. He had congestive heart failure and we all knew he was dying. And uh, I had taken an all night opportunity to stay with him through the night. And uh, the doctors came in and said he might not live till the next day. And I, he hadn't talked in about three days. And I can remember vividly kind of being like laying on top of him as much as I could from my chair by the bed and crying and saying, I can't imagine doing life without you. Please don't leave me here. And having not spoken for a number of days, he said, I wouldn't if you didn't have Joe. And that day, I stopped signing my name, Suzanne Guthrie Stabile, and started signing my name, Suzanne Stabile. Mm. Because if he trusted Joe, then I could go with that. And I think those kinds of transitions where we take ownership of our own lives help us take ownership of the good and the not so good about us. And unfortunately, not everybody gets that chance early in life to to and both are just such great stories of and examples i should say of you can't do it by like we need help with finding these things like without uh your dad both of y'all's dad stepping in and saying those things for you that you needed to hear right i mean the path that we go down yeah it's a it, it it's very interesting because it's about attaching and then detachment at the same time. And there's a lot of freedom in detachment, which I would think would come around again to the work you do. So is detachment a word that you use? Do you talk about attaching and detaching? And if you don't, it's okay. I'm just curious. 
uh, in a recent podcast that you did, everyone, by all means, check out the Rachel Cruz show. We'll plug that all yeah. later before and after. But um, you open up and your opening sentence is about change is uncomfortable. And then before going into the episode, you know, you say change is hard. And then you're talking about detaching from things. And right. so I just think that's all just such a big, yeah. big topic. And, and I think people who have a, a, an inadequate relationship with money don't know how to change that. They just don't know how. And I think uh, your dad made things practical and you do the same thing. And I think that sometimes we're not good to people who come to hear us talk because we're philosophically strong or ideologically strong and not practical. Mm. Yeah, there's two filters that we run things through as a speaker and an author and all of that is, is it inspirational and is it instructional? Exactly. Like, can you, can you get both? You can't have one without the other, right? Uh, you need, you need that balance. And so part of that, yeah, I don't, you asked about the word detach and detach. I don't think I've ever used them in that link, like that specific language, but in the relationship to change, you have to change what you've been doing. If you don't like the outcome that you've, that you have right. with your money, right. they have to change. And I think for people to detach to habits that they've been in with money, even if they're unhealthy money habits, it's still hard because there's, there's a comfort, there's a safety, there's a security in what we know and to completely change your mindset. Cause for people, the idea of something as simple as if you don't have the money, don't buy it. Yeah. Like it's common sense, but man, to live that out, that could, that, that, that maybe have to be a shift, a complete paradigm shift that you've had for decades when it comes to money. But that one shift uh, of detaching from that, it can be so, so hard because there's this comfort in, well, I can always just go get a new car if I need it sure. and I'll go get a car loan, right? Um, but, but those words attached and detached are so good. I may I'll probably add those to my vocabulary now. <laughs> I'd love to hear what you do with them. So you and I, uh, age-wise, are very different. Uh, you're 31 Actually, I think, I think and I'm, yeah. I'm 68 and we are um, both choosing to be vulnerable around personal behavior that's very difficult for people to allow to change. I did an interview yesterday where uh, the interviewer was asking me for a, a magazine publication if I had any idea why the Enneagram is more acceptable in the evangelical world now and more interesting to young people than it has been historically. I'd like to know if, and the Enneagram is really quite trendy right now, but more simple living is also trendy right now and not having more than you need is trendy right now and detaching opposed to attaching, right? What do you think's happening? First of all, that your work is, People are just so much more interested in how to learn and live what you're talking as opposed to five years ago. Do you find that to be true? Uh, I would say elements of it. Yes. Yes. What uh, are those? Um, the minimalist living. Yes. I don't preach that yeah. necessarily, but that, yeah, but that yeah. whole idea, like you're saying of, yep, um, is huge. I mean, the whole Marie Kondo movement on, 
on, you know, Netflix of does this spark joy if not let it go, you know. Right. So yeah, there's kind of been this this wave, uh, I'd say in pop culture even of that. Um, and I think that there there has to be an element of people's spirit that is in rebellion of what we were and we still are preached at in our culture of more, 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 more. And I think after decades of living, and I'd say there's even an element from even like the great recession that happens, you know, that we watched our parents. I mean, my generation watched our parents go through it. Um, and some to a severe case that I think we're seeing stuff wrap back around, but yet when you look at studies and statistics out, credit card debt's the highest it's ever been. Yeah. So like I, so there's elements of it. I think people are attaching to because they're kind of seeing this truth or this light in this one area, but yet the way they're handling their money is not, it's not reflecting in that, at least on a national level. Is it a matter of less, less things, but finer things? I think I've seen that more. Is that um, yeah, like the, the quality over yeah, quantity kind of aspect? Yeah. That's being taught a lot. Yep. Right. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's tough because depending on even, even sectors of the country, and you may know this cause you travel, you see different personalities in different oh, yeah. cities, you know, and like what they grab onto. So it's always, it's always entertaining to me to go to Orange County and then go to Des Moines. <laughs> within like two weeks, you it's know? So interesting to me too, to uh, in, in situations where I'm not, in front of everybody yet or where I haven't looked at everybody yet. It's so interesting to me to kind of get my notes out and look up and think, wait, where am I? Because the audience looks so different. Do you have that too? Yes. Oh yeah. It's bizarre. Yes. And in my line of work, which I'm sure you see, cause it's so similar, their money habits are all the same. It may be magnified in certain areas of the country, depending on income level. Uh, but their problems are, are still the same. You can live paycheck to paycheck, making a million dollars a year or, $50,000 a year. Uh, but, they, but it looks different from the outside, which is always, always interesting. So, so I think together then you and I are talking about from the perspective that we each teach from that our, uh, for me, the word is call is to try to help people be okay with who they are and okay with what they have. And that's countercultural in every way. What's that about from your perspective? Why does the culture insist on more? I think it's a little bit of what we talked about earlier, but I think it goes back to feeding this need and this desire that we think monetary stuff is going to fulfill. I mean, and I think us living in a three country, like you said, I was like, man, that's so true because everything is talked about it's bigger it's better even even in your line of work even though your work isn't monetary but man how do you get to the next level how do right. you climb you know if you get put in a leadership position that's praise yeah it's fascinating even within our company we've talked about on a i sit on our operating board and hearing discussions around leadership transitions and stuff and we've had to learn as a company that just because as an example a web developer just because he's an amazing web developer our tendency as a company is to be like oh, well, you need to move up. Like, you're awesome, you know? And then you look up, you're like, oh, but he, that person may not have the qualities of everything right. you need as a leader, but he's really good at what he does. But even in business, ICS naturally say, oh, well, you got to move up because yeah. you're great, you know? Up is better. Yes, yes. And I think that there's, you know, 
if, if people are wired in a certain way, then yeah, your, your giftings can be used at different levels. But, uh, but yeah, it's like kind of everywhere you look, that's what's talked about. And so from the money perspective, I laugh. I'm like, I feel like I have job security for the rest of my life. Cause I think there always do. will be an element of people spending more than what they have, you know, to, to scratch that itch. And, and it is, it's so, it's such a, it's such a hard message to convey that delayed gratification is worth it. Right. I mean, to, to have the patience, but it's, but, but it's, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint in my case. And it's, and it's hard. It's, it's a hard one for people because it's not fun, right? Like it's not, yeah. it's not enjoyable. And part of some of your work is like, yeah, find the unhealthy parts of you. And a lot of people are like, I'd rather just have my head in the sand and just keep living my life because it's hard to see the parts of you that aren't great. You know, yeah. it's not fun to read the three unhealthy state because you're like, oh, I hate that about myself. So, so yeah, it is, it's, um, it's a fascinating thing, but the, I'll commend you though. The work you, you guys are doing is just, it's fantastic. And it, helps put language and uh, a way to communicate with people around you that really changes people. So I, I do think what we both do is game changer for people. And I think they, I, my experience is they love what they learn from me and they struggle with what they learn from me. Yep. I wanted to throw in two things. First is, you know, your question about why is it more and more, and then Rachel, you're talking about, you know, scratch, it's scratching the itch. And I feel like that goes back full circle to the matter of contentment. Yeah. We've talked about this at a few different LTM events. It works the same way on the other end of the spectrum of like starving yourself of things and yeah. going the full other way of uh, bare minimalism mm-hmm. and even in all both finance. I mean, clearly financially that could work well, but as far as the contentment of it, you'll still be unhappy and it'll go the other way until you are content in the way y'all are talking about. But then I also wanted to say, talking about threes and I hate that about myself. One of the things that I, one of the things I heard you say recently that I really liked, first of all, you did the recording from your closet uh, on parenting. I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) But you talked about that and uh, it, that one was in relationship to parenting and having grace for yourself. And, you know, we talked about how you can, until you have grace for yourself, then you're not gonna be able to have grace for others. Right. And oh my gosh, especially in something in like parenting. Yeah. But in the same with around all the anagram work that you do, it's the same deal until you have compassion for yourself right. and look at, oh, I hate that I do that. But you know, some non-judgmental self-observation, then you can have that compassion and grace for yourself to have the compassion and grace for others. Yeah. And, and I think, I do think I'm going to give both of us some strokes here. And that is, I, I, I do think that we both lead with, I get it wrong too. And I'm tempted too. And I'd like to have it that way too. But I think we've both found a way to teach that isn't shaming. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a huge pushback when people feel shamed and it's real easy to feel shame around what I teach. And it's really easy to feel shame around what you teach. And so it, it's, again, it's very interesting to me to continue to look at the titles of your work because they're all free of shame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people feel shame, they just can't function well. 
Oh, absolutely. I think they just give up. It's like, yeah, I'm in debt that much and I can't do those five things. So I give up. It was interesting. The first um, part of my work when I first graduated college and I was like, this is what I want to do. I went and spoke to high school students and college students. Uh And so I saw myself as kind of like the preventative medicine while my dad was the emergency surgeon, you know, and I was like, if I could get people early, just like we were saying earlier, if only I knew this stuff earlier. So I spent a good two years at first doing high school assemblies and college campuses. And at that point, that age group, they've not made devastating mistakes with money. I mean, like they may have signed up for student loans, but even the effects of that, they haven't felt as a sophomore in college, you know? So there was a little bit of that curtain that was there. And then that curtain for me got completely ripped down when I stepped into the smart money, smart kids space with my dad of parenting and saying, okay, I'm going to write as the perspective of the kid, but naturally because of the book and events we were doing, I was put in front of people. And it was the first experience I had personally with people face to face talking about money and shame was through the parenting lens of saying, parents would tell me, I mean, they're like, I don't know, who who am I to teach my kids about money? Like we're living paycheck to paycheck. We don't budget. Like we're failing. Who am I? And I'm sitting there as a 24 year old who was given the gift of learning how to handle money. And I mean, I would look at them like, who are you? You're their parents. Like you can do that. You know, I were feeling this this thing within my heart of being like, no, 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 I'm getting, I have to give you permission to say that, yeah, you've messed up and do you need to get your stuff together? A hundred percent. Here's another book. <laughs> you can do that for your own right. finances. Right. But what do you mean? And so I saw it through the lens of watching these parents almost say, I, I can't even, you know, being shamed of their mistakes to their four-year-old because they didn't even feel worthy to teach their kids about money. And so that was that first glimpse for me personally seeing that and then now over the course of you know x number of years interacting with people outside of just that space but even talking to themselves and it's just um you know it's it's so real and people's mistakes really people believe that it defines them and with the money part there's such a tactical element that what's hard is the more mistakes you've made and the bigger mistakes you've made it's a bigger hole to climb out of so it's going to take that much more effort which is always discouraging uh versus if you just had a $4,000 $4,000 credit card bill and you know, sure. you can pay it off quick and you're good. Um, but walking people through that to, to really have them believe that those past mistakes, you're going to have to face them in the future, but it doesn't have to define it. Like you can really do this. And so uh, we say all the time around here that we give hope. Like ultimately that's what we give is, is we give hope. It's wrapped in how to handle your money. But if you don't have hope, then can't do you, it. You, really, you can't do it. That's right. You know, um, we, we're almost out of time, but, but one thing I want to say for sure is that um, when I was growing up, and I still find in public speaking that the, the rule was you don't talk about sex or money or politics. To we're talk, use these last few minutes to talk about sex, sex and money. And <laughs> oh, is that what 2020 election? We've handled money. Um, I think that that's because those conversations are normally dishonest or or divisive. And I don't think people collectively do well with either. So I really want to tip my hat to you for your ability to be honest and hopeful. And language I use all the time is I try to set the table for people to hear what they need to hear from my teaching. 
And I just want my audience to hear that that contentment journal will set the table for them to be able to live a more responsible life financially. I, I, I think you really have a gift of setting the table to teach people contentment. And uh, they need that. And I'm grateful for your work. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That means, that means a lot. I really, really appreciate that. And, and to you as well. I mean, I said it earlier, but it's true. The work you guys are doing, it's just, it's phenomenal. And it's helping people in every aspect of their life. And that could include money in the way that they perceive. Absolutely. And the filter they use. So, okay. Now, we, a, might, we might really need to do a thing. I know. We should. Yeah. I'm yeah. open to it. Yes. Me too. Um, I wish you only the best. I love seeing things that wisdom that you have to offer float by on my phone between, uh, I, I really love dresses and there haven't been dresses of the length that I have wanted lately. And I'm fascinated by the fact that I brought, I bought three dresses online and now I get an opportunity four or five times a day on Facebook and other places to buy another dress. I, they've got us. If people like you don't keep talking, they've, That's right. yeah. they've got me sometimes too. And I have to remind myself what I teach. So <laughs> congratulations on that new baby. I had two girls and then two boys. Oh, okay. Everybody yes. always said you need to have your boys first. I'm not, I don't go with that. I think this order's just fine. Yes. Those little mommies will be running around here in a few months. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're happy. Well, Blessings. thank you Sam, for coming, for having me on. Seriously. This was like, you can even ask everyone in the office. I was telling everyone, I usually pop in this room to do interviews like every day. And this one, I was like, guys, I'm doing this podcast. So genuinely, thanks for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. And you contact me anytime you've got an Enneagram question. I got gotcha. you. Thank you. And I got to give a shout out to my mother-in-law. She loves you she was like my number one fan that I was coming on she was the first person I texted when I got it I was like Helen guess where I'm gonna be on so yeah so you have a huge fan in Knoxville Tennessee no well doubt. thanks and tell her I'd love to meet her sometime oh sweet I'll tell her well, thank you guys I appreciate it so we'll talk soon all right let us know if there's anything